The microphone is really quiet, it says. Hmm. I don't know. You just went off. You just went yeah, off. Yeah, I should be back on now. No. No? Hold on. Now? Nope. Really? It's it's cycling like it's going to come on, you know, a little circle oh, thing. Yeah, so it'll just give it a second. There it is. There we go. Are you seeing me? Yeah. All right, so yeah, here we go. Now. Okay. The Mitch and His Dad podcast, episode 15 now. Whoa. I am Mitch, and with me, as always, is my dad. And, uh, yeah. Howdy, so, howdy from over here. February 22nd. Yeah, so uh, let's see. I got some. Uh, I got. I got a. Um, well, it probably probably won't be a problem, but uh, I got. We got to make sure. Let's see. It's four forty-five over here right now. I got to be done here by six at the latest. I think that won't be a problem, but no. In fact, I need to go about quarter, about an hour from now. Okay, that's fine then. So that would be fifteen minutes early. That'll work out perfect. Well, I did get your email concerning the movies, and of course, those things that the gentleman wrote in the piece that he that you sent me are my sentiments exactly, and that is that the movie industry is following, like most other things, a certain group of the population that I'm not a member of. <laughs> yeah, there seems to be. Uh... I, don't, I mean, it's it's a weird thing because I don't know anybody in that population either. Like uh, most of the crap films that come out, you know, that make these billions of dollars, and I I don't run into anybody who who genuinely likes them. But then I don't think I, I mean, you know, it's like the people who like films definitely don't like them. Uh, the people who don't mind will tolerate them. I think is if I had to guess, that's what's going on. Hey, here's the, here's the thing I would like an explanation for. And in fact, I might even put it in my comment thing with that piece that you sent me that was a place for comment. Now, when you go to the movies, and, and I don't care what movie it is, this can be a high-ticket movie or a terrible movie or a comedy or a monster, whatever it is, there's anywhere from 9 to 15 producers in a movie now. Yeah. The Godfather had one. Uh, there's usually three to four movie production companies. Like I just went to see, we went to see this weekend, the Liam Neeson, January Jones movie, uh, unknown, which opened last weekend here. And in fact, it was the number one box office movie of the week, which we seldom end up seeing that movie in the first week, but we did see it. It was relatively good. It had a lot of things in it that you could say, you know, it was impossible. I mean, they did things out of, I don't know, probably when they cut the film for expense purposes, they didn't watch it close enough. But anyway, the, 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 the critique of it by the Wall Street Journal, which is my favorite place to look at movie critique, they said the same thing about it, that it, it didn't make sense in parts of it. I mean, it was very easy to see places in it where, you know, it just didn't make sense. But it was a pretty, you know, it was an entertaining movie. I kind of enjoyed it. But it was four production companies. Uh, the only one I ever heard of is uh, was Warner Brothers. And the other three are just probably little independent production companies that, for some reason, have to get mentioned with their logo and their music and the whole <laughs> thing before yeah. the movie starts. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, this movie had nine producers. 
And <clears throat> I just would like someone that really knows the end of working to explain to me why all the great Woody Allen movies were written, produced, directed, and starred in by one human being. And now it takes a dozen of them. <laughs> I don't understand that. Well, I think, uh, I mean, there's a number of things at play that I, in my research, um, one of the things is that, you know, making movies these days rarely loses money, um, theoretically, anyway. Insofar as because there's foreign and domestic, there's DVD sales, there's, you know, on-demand, pay-per-view, Netflix, uh, you know, Hulu, you name it. There's all these different avenues. Oh, yeah. So it's very difficult for even the worst movie to actually not make its budget back anymore because they'll find a way. But then there's what they call creative Hollywood accounting, and it's confusing even to me. Um, but I read an article that kind of broke it open uh, maybe a year ago, and the basic idea was for every movie that they make these days, and I say these days, but frankly I have no idea how long it's been going on, but um, for a given movie, they'll start a company for that movie, you know, the Avatar Incorporated or whatever. They'll start a, a DBA for just that movie, and they put all the costs of the film as that company's... Um, expenses for the year let's say as if that that company was taking out a loan and then when the profits come in they use part of it to pay back that company's profits and then once that's all paid off then they pay themselves so but they're not really on paper basically a billion dollar film can look like it didn't make any money and I, I, you know more about accounting than I do. I could find the article to show it to you. So there's that part of it. So while it makes a ridiculous amount of money, on paper it looks like it doesn't intentionally. So that the studio can come back and show you these numbers and go, no, no, it sounds like it made $400 million at the box office. But if you look, you know, after all that we did and all the marketing and whatever, you know, it made a million bucks. Um, <clears throat> so there's that. Uh, so it's is more people that can put their hands on that because now there's more money at stake. And then on top of it, there's a thing of like, you know, the digital revolution, it's easier to make movies these days. So there's far more people out there who think they can do it or they just know this one thing or they can do this part or, well, we've got a guy over here and everybody's interconnected. So I think you've got that in there as well. That's why so they just give them that. title of executive producer, assistant producer, co-producer. Something to make a producer out of them. Yeah, I mean, if you're a... Because they participated in the making of the movie. Exactly, exactly. And I think Financially a, or whatever. If you're a uh, <clears throat> starting out a, a smaller director or, you know, whatever have you, it doesn't take the resources that it once did through one studio, whatever have you. There's many avenues. You can pitch it to a studio that's owned by a larger studio, and they'll pick it up for a smaller amount, and then they'll escalate they'll kind of pick it up from there and escalate it upwards um the first saw film for instance um i went to the screening of that here in hollywood and the directors uh, the filmmakers were there and they said that they made the whole movie based on they they like well we just want to make one film see how it'll do kind of thing they both graduated film school and uh, they they decided, well, if we just try to make a movie under a million bucks, it'll do well. Like at the box office, it's very difficult for a movie to not make at least a million. 
And they were like, what kind of movie can we make with a million bucks? And decided that they could make a movie that only involved one room. So that's what Saw basically was, is one room. And then uh, the studio added on extra scenes after the fact, like, you know, chasing scenes and stuff like that. But all the various torture devices and everything else were all on one set. And then in the other set, the other room, were the two guys. Um, and they they said it cost under a million dollars to make. And so in the box office, I don't know what it ended up making. Let's $100 million or something. Whatever it is, the studio, it was pure profit. I mean, you know, they'll they'll drop a million bucks on radio ads in a day, you know. So yeah. that was one uh, of those franchises where they were like, well, we can make this into a franchise. These guys know I how didn't, to I didn't really want to get into this discussion about the finances of it. I was more looking to talk about the fact that the movie business – for one of many reasons, part of them are those reasons you just brought up. Is and, and and I've been saying for the past few years, it's very disappointing. The only reason that a decent movie wins an Academy Award like Hurt Locker did last year is because the people that are voting, which would include the actors, are oftentimes able to really talk about the artful nature of a movie, the fact that it's a, a very good movie, well done, well directed, good acting, good story. And that's what they did with The Hurt Locker. That's what they did with uh, with uh, There Will Be Blood with Daniel Day-Lewis, No Country for Old Men. I mean, those are well-written, well-acted drama movies. And those are the ones that we're seeing less and less and less of every year. There's less of them. This past year was just horrible. I mean, it, it was just, it was atrocious. I, I would say that the, 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 the uh, Facebook movie, uh, I can't even think of the name of it now. Social Network. Social Network. You know, that was probably... In a regular year, you wouldn't even mention them. Yeah. But it's either it, they'll probably win or, or The King's Speech, which was a good drama, well-written and good acting. But neither one of those movies was seen by the people that that watch, you know, all the digital movie cause junk. Right. So uh, I think it's just, you know, uh, we're in a period of our history because of the, like you were saying, the outlets for all these movies are just enormous. And I just think it's it's more of a, a business based on just, you know, making profits and getting people rich and all that stuff. It really has nothing to do with the story. As the guy in the article said numerous times throughout the story, throughout the piece, there's no story anymore. There's no, it's hard to find a movie that's a story. Right, right. And, uh, you know, that's just there's nothing. You're gonna, there's nothing that a guy like me can do about it. That's for sure. I mean, I just gotta keep trucking along. And well, I think it's you know that's the sort of thing where I get down on like you know the middle management and things like this, just in various you know office jobs I've had and things like that. Is there's the the big wigs with the money in Hollywood or elsewhere, but for the sake Hollywood, the the guys at the very top who make the put the stamp on, yeah, let's go, let's give them money to make this film and all this stuff. 
they don't know or care about a quality story and they're not going to read a screenplay and they don't really grasp the the nuances of what you're trying to say with the movie all this different stuff they'll look at like well who's in the cast oh you know this you know brad pitt or you know whatever um i shouldn't say brad pitt because he actually is in a lot of good movies but you know what i'm saying just they look at the list of actors oh these this guy pulls pretty good numbers let's look at his box office let's look at the box office of these people you got big actors in there well tell me is there some explosions there's explosions people love explosions and and, and naked women, all right, good. This is, you know, we're green lighting this sucker. They can they can chalk it down like on a checklist. When you get to sure. nuances like story and character development and, oh, it has a deeper meaning. And I, a studio executive doesn't know or understand or care about any. Oh. You know, I don't think you could sell him on a story. He wants to I'm know. Glad the guy me- I'm glad the guy mentioned HBO because, to me, HBO has the best shows their regular series are the best written uh, drama type stuff that you can get. You know, I mean, it's, it's, it's just well done. I mean, yeah. Yeah. No one's ever going to top the Sopranos in my mind, no matter what they do, they're never going to make a movie or a series. Cause it's any better than that, but they've come up with so many of them that uh, it's kind of nice that there's a place where people can go for that kind of, including the actors that can go for that kind of production that's, uh, you know, watchable, that has a story to it. And HBO is kind of the HBO and Showtime and, and a couple of the other channels. They mentioned AMC because they're the ones that run Mad Men, which is also yeah, yeah. good. Well, I've been but, getting really into Showtime. I haven't watched HBO in, in quite some time, but I, I watch a, a bunch of shows on Showtime, and they just brought out a bunch of new ones recently that I, I really like. Uh, you watch in Californication and Shameless. Absolutely. Shameless, yeah, I just picked that. started getting into that. Um, it's Californication. Episodes is another one. Episodes, yeah. Um, uh, obviously, Dexter, Weeds. Although Weeds is I, like... I really like Dexter. It's, it's very well Weeds used to be really good, and then I think they kind of fell off a little bit. But I'll watch it because it's like, you know, what else am I going to do? But it's not. Yeah. I'm, I look forward to Dexter. Stop watching you know? some of that. I got to tell you, I, I watched Californication the first year, and then the second year I just kind of fell off on it. Yeah. But, uh, you know, that doesn't mean it's not good. I, I like that guy from, from X-Files. Uh, David Duchovny. David Duchovny. I like him. Yeah, he's good. I was watching some reruns of uh, X-Files on some cable channel. They had a whole day of X-Files. Yeah. And I must have watched about three hours of X-Files. This was during the snowstorm. We couldn't leave the house. So I'm watching TV. I'm playing on a computer. I'm trying to find something to do. And here was all these X-Files things. So I just sat down and watched like three episodes. of, And it was really an old one because the company and uh, what was the name? Jillian? Mm. I want to say Jillian Anderson. I might yeah. be wrong in that. Is that right? I think that's right. I don't but know how. I've never. I think I've watched two episodes so young, of that show. So. The ones I saw, they were so young. It had to be 10 years ago or more. But uh, uh, yeah, the yeah. early ones were really good. I mean, these were early X-Files, and they were really good. But, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, that that's kind of where it is. I, I mean, we use movies as, as a obviously a place to go on a Saturday. I mean, you know, we go to the movie and we go out to eat after the movie. That's kind of a standard thing. And, uh, 
so I'm, I'm pretty sure we go to the movie sometime and we probably shouldn't be going to the movie because the movie's not that good. We're just trying to hunt for a movie to go to. And, but, uh, you know, it's, 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 it's just disappointing. There's so many bad ones. I mean, it's really, it's really ridiculous. Well, I can remember like back, uh, back when I worked for Vivid, the uh, adult company, that uh, there was a number of times that uh, my myself and the other designer, my friend Jim, uh, would look over something and be like, it, this doesn't, you know, the quality isn't there, or, you know, th they should try this, or, you know, maybe take this route, or if they just blankety-blank, they could pick up a new market and all this different stuff. And <clears throat> and Jim would jokingly pretend that he was uh, Stephen Hirsch, the president of Vivid. He would do a... Not that Stephen Hirsch is a very nice guy, so this isn't actually an impression of him. It's just sort of like I can imagine his response, and it would basically go along the lines of him and going, "What was that? Hold on, real quick. I got my accountant calling. Uh, he's got to deposit another eight million dollars. Give me just a second, you know, and that kind of thing. Hold on, you know, can we talk about this? I'm about to take my private jet to England for you know a night of fun. So let's talk about this in the morning, you know, that kind of thing." <laughs> My private <laughs> helicopter is waiting, so I, I can't hear you over the sound of the chopper blades. Uh, you know. You ever see the movie The Player? Yeah, yeah, with uh, with uh, Robin. Uh, yeah, yeah. Roberts, what's his name? Uh, Tim Roberts. Tim Roberts. Is that, is that right? I think that's right. I thought that was a good sort of Hollywood movie, and I, I like movies about movies. I like movies about like that one with De Niro that he made. Yeah, recently. I need to see that. Yeah. So uh, the one that I saw the preview of with him in person and everything. I, I don't know. I like movies about movies. The player was really good because it it added in some homicide. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was, a, it was definitely a very good film. I, and a, yeah, I, I got to see stuff, you know? a, a couple of years ago just so I could watch it every now and then. Yeah, that's actually my friend Jim's favorite movie. Uh, yeah, that is. I just found a DVD I had been looking for in this secondhand place I go to all the time so I can save money on DVDs. He called me about it because he knows I've been looking for it. It's called Save the Tiger. Hmm. Never heard of that. Jack Lemmon actually won an Academy Award for his part in this movie. Wow. And, uh, man, what a great movie. And as I'm watching it, I'm thinking, now, you can't make a movie like this movie. I mean, it's, it's all story and dialogue. You know, it's it's a, it's about two guys that own a clothing company, right? And uh, they're having some problems financially, and I don't know. It's just so well done. And the clothes that that Jack Lemmon wears, he wears these really nice clothes because they make men's clothes and women's clothes. And uh, anyway, it's just it's so realistic. Jack Lemmon, of course. He got to go down as one of the great actors of all time because he could be funny and very dramatic. I mean, he was good. No, he yeah, did. you got to love Jack Lemmon. He's amazing, yeah. incredible. Yeah. Uh, Save the Tiger. If you, if it ever comes on TV or if you get a chance to see it, it's uh, it's really worth watching. I mean, it's just so good. Hmm. Just really. Not to to look into that. I haven't I haven't seen that one. I was thinking. Yeah, well, uh, I, because kind of an unknown movie, with the exception of Jack Lemmon winning the Academy Award for it, I don't think uh, I don't ever remember it ever playing on cable, frankly. Well, there was one uh, a similar movie in spirit. Well, there's two of them. Another one Jack Lemmon was in would be Glenn Gurry, Glenn Ross, mm. and then uh, and I got the DVD of that. 
That's one of my favorite movies of all time. And that's just dialogue. Same oh, as yeah. Twelve well, Angry Men. Play. That's a that's a David Mamet play. Right. And it wasn't I think Twelve Angry Men was as well, or at least it was a, a short saw. story perhaps. I don't know. What? Twelve Angry Men? Oh yeah, that was a play. That was a famous play. Yeah, I couldn't remember uh, if it was a play or a, a uh, short story or something. Uh, and uh, and the big big Kahuna, which I think was just a movie, but that yeah. takes place in one hotel room. You don't see anything but the hotel room with Dio yeah. and uh, uh, Kevin. Uh, what's his name? Spacey. Yeah, Kevin Spacey. And I just caught that on TV one day. It was on HBO one day, and I just I was yeah. like, oh, uh, I like these two, and it was it was good. It wasn't. You know, it was good. Glenn Gary Glenn oh, Moss, it was a good but... movie. I mean, it's something you could watch over again, you know. Yeah. It was a good movie. I... There's good movies out there, but most of them are a little older. I mean, it's, uh, you know, The Usual Suspects uh, with uh, with Spacey was a good movie. Oh, that was so good, yeah. I mean, that the problem with that movie is you can't see it over again because you yeah. know how it ends. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was, I was finding that same problem. Is it's like it's great. To, I have it on DVD because uh, there's a lot of great acting and it's great plot. Um, but you really, the only time you can really truly enjoy is if you you found somebody who has no idea what it's about. And yeah, you're gonna be like, oh, I have a movie for you. Yeah. Well, this movie we just saw the, the this movie Unknown that we just saw last Saturday. It has a surprise ending. To it, even though you don't realize it's going to have a surprise ending, that's what made it good. Uh, the ending was the ending was good, you know. Yeah, I mean, I it, think that was the same thing about Usual Suspects. I didn't know at any point that I was waiting for a surprise ending. No, no. I, in fact, uh, the only thing that led me to believe that there was something going to happen strange was that they kept talking about that guy. What was his name? Kaiser Sos- Kaiser Sose. Kaiser Sose, and. <laughs> But you know, of course, as soon as as soon as Spacey stopped limping, you knew there was going to be something going yeah, on. Yeah. But yeah, it was uh, it was good. That was just a plain, just a really enjoyable movie. And uh, there, there's been a lot of there's a lot of good movies, you know, out there to see, but they just don't make too many of them anymore. We're going to go see a Matt Damon movie that's coming up. I don't know if it'll start this weekend. The uh, The Benefactors or something, right? It's called uh, the bureau, bureaucracy the bureau or something. Bureau of something, yeah. It's bureau, bureau, yeah, yeah. I, I saw like a, a kind of a sci-fi last night. It's it's very sci-fi looking to me. Yeah, yeah. There was two and weird Jeff trailers like, I saw last night. That was the one, and the other one was about a guy who could take some pill. I think it's called Limitless. A guy would like take a pill, and he could just do whatever he wanted when he had the pill, and then. I don't yeah. know, people start chasing him, and I was like, what is that? I don't know that I'd like that. I saw the preview. It was weird, man. Yeah, that Matt Damon one, though, makes me really curious because I'm not even really sure what I was... Actually, both of those trailers, I was like, I don't even know what I'm looking at. I don't I don't understand the plot, but... See, I've seen the preview of that Matt Damon movie about four times already, and, and I can't watch it anymore because now I'm getting to where I think I know the whole movie. I mean, right. it's... You know, the trailer is so – so I try to forget the trailer. You know, it's like I don't want to remember what I saw because it's probably not the right thing. But yeah. the guy from the the guy from Mad Men plays in it. Plays um, one John, the, what's his name? Huh? John, what's his name? I don't ever the think of The lead guy? Name. Huh? 
the lead guy from Mad Men, you mean? No, not that's John Hamm. No, that's no, no. Him. This is the guy that's the head of the ad agency. His Oh, Did him and okay. father own it or something? Right, right. Gray-haired guy, yeah. Uh, he's got gray hair, white white Where's hair. three-piece suits all the time, yeah. In fact, he does the Lincoln commercials. The Lincoln car. Oh, all right, all right, yeah, he's yeah. Some that drives in that Lincoln. Now, speaking of commercials, I'm going to change the subject a little bit. Um, again, all this, a lot of stuff I tell you comes from the Wall Street Journal because it is something I read every day, and it's probably the most well-written thing you could read, really. I mean, it's, it's astonishing that they can put out those stories and have it show up at my front doorstep every morning. It's just unbelievable. But anyway, there's a piece in there about people that are stand-up comics that do commercials. Okay. So of course, I'm thinking of you the whole time I'm reading this thing. I assume they <laughs> mentioned Bill Hicks at some point in there. Or like his rant about Hicks. commercials. They had McKenzie, uh, yeah. they had the guy that does, you know, the one where the baby talks. No, I, I, I'll i tell you in a minute. Go on with the thing. Okay, but, it's so, unrelated. But I want to know, i got a couple things to ask you. What does it cost to join the Actors Guild or whatever that's called? What, what is that? You know? <sighs> it's... Is it a lot of money, like five grand or something? Yeah, about that, yeah. Um, but you can get discounts and points if you do certain things. Like if I, you know, like when I've been an extra on films, if I decide I want to join the, uh, if I want to join SAG or uh, AFTA or what, what's the other one? SAG is the one they mentioned. In this yeah, SAG, and there's another one that actually is, is more geared towards um, commercials, and I don't remember the name of it. Sag and I want to say AFTA, but whatever it is, and um, <clears throat> and uh, um, the way it works is when you're doing as an extra on something, you're not allowed to talk unless you're in one of the two unions. Uh, so if you're an extra, when you finish out your your work for that particular project, they'll say, okay, so we can give you your paycheck, or we can give you points towards the thing, and we'll just keep your paycheck as a down payment. Ah, yeah. So it's a weird kind of because you're like, well, I'd like, so, you know, so I could get words, paid so made, much more. If they paid you fifteen hundred bucks on a film, you know, to be an extra, which I don't know whether that's a lot or let's just say fifteen hundred bucks. Sure. You could say, okay, just keep that toward my five grand or whatever it is. Yeah. Okay. And, and you have to tell them this before you do the work or afterwards. Afterwards, when you're when you've been on set for four days and you're starving and you just want your paycheck yeah. and you're, <laughs> you're ready to go home. And well, that's what I'm saying. It's sort of counter to the reason you're doing the work. You know, it's like yeah, you're doing the work to make a couple of bucks to pay the rent, and here you got to leave it for the. So anyway, what you could do, however, is you could save yourself. Yeah. If you got fifteen hundred, you take say. 500 of it and put it in the bank or in a, under the mattress or something. Yeah. And if you do 10 of those, you got your five grand. <clears throat> the reason I'm bringing this up is, and yeah, this is not anything that's news to you. I mean, I know that. <laughs> but with your voice, okay, and the stature you have, I mean, the way you look as far as, I don't mean your, your hair, but your, you know, your way you look. You look good, you know, on film. Mm. And with the voice, I have no doubt that there's a place where you could do some commercial. I mean, I just, 
I think that's that 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 would be a target if I was you because this looks like like these people that were in this article are people that love doing stand-up comedy. Mm-hmm. And they definitely do the commercials so they can do the stand-up comedy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they make well. like 150 grand a year or something doing commercials. Yeah. They still do the comedy, you know, it's like I don't want to stop doing my comedy type thing. It's like that's their real thing, yeah, you know. Yeah, definitely. What they really do is they do the comedy. That's kind of the way they think of it. I think that's the way you would think of it too, you know. Yeah, because you don't actually like you rarely see the you know a comedian in a commercial or whatever. You don't really think about it. They're a quick background person, or they'll do one quick shot here, or yeah, they're a voice of some art cartoon or animated character, or their voice. Yeah, that's the kind of stuff you could do. That you could do. I would do love it. to. That, I just that. you know it's it's that thing of I I don't. I do know one voiceover guy through a friend of mine, and but he's so busy that I can never like set a meeting up with the guy. I'm always like, ask him this, ask him that, and my friend's like, all right, I will, and then I never hear anything. So it's like, it, it's just that it, that's been my struggle in a lot of situations where it's like, how do I get from this budding thing that I kind of know a little bit about to like actually doing it? Hollywood is all about that middle part, that transition. Is like this closely yeah. guarded secret because anybody who's figured it out doesn't want to share. There's <laughs> less gigs for them, so they, you know, it's it's like, and there's there's a there's a reaming crapload of people out there that will pretend they know that and charge you out the wad to teach you whatever it is, as you might imagine. I mean, ah, you know, I so, see. You know, well, the girl that Phoenix, does the, that, you know, have you ever seen the progressive insurance commercials with Flo? Uh, God, I hate that stuff. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I hate this. I hate this girl so much from those commercials because I hate those commercials. But she actually turns out to be pretty cool. But she's in this article, and that's what that's what she does. She's a stand-up comic, right? And of course, she looks totally different outside of the commercial because in the commercial, she's got a hair like in a bun. Yeah, she's got this real red lipstick. Yeah. You know, she looks kind of like from the 50s or something. And she's supposed to look like a quirky, you know, quirky 20-something yeah. girl. Yeah, I, I get that. See, the yeah. funny thing is, the first time I saw her in the commercial, I immediately recognized her. She plays, in Mad Men, there's a room in the office oh, that yeah, has yeah. You know, the 50s. Yeah. There's like four girls at a at a, at a uh, phone answering system kind of thing like they have, where they have to push the, they push the thing into the... Wall, you know, yeah, the whole yeah. little thing. Working the switchboard or whatever I think it is. Switchboard. That's yeah. the word I'm. Well, she's one of those girls. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I think that was after because it feels like she's been doing those commercials a while. Oh, she did the Mad Men before she did the commercial. Oh, okay. All right. And in fact, she thinks it helped to get the the job because in the in the she's dressed like a fifty, you know, a fifties person. Yeah, that's true. Mad Men. And uh, she's got the real red lipstick and the hair up and the glasses and all that. So anyway, they had the guy that does the uh, the, the voice of the baby on the E-Trade. Then they had the guy that's, uh, oh, what was the other guy? Can't think of the commercial now that he does. I think he, I think he might be the guy that does the one where he's mean to the kids. Have you ever seen that one? Like he'll he'll tell the kid, you know, like there'll be two kids, and one of them he'll give him a candy, and the other one he'll tell him, you know, you can't have a candy. No. Too, too bad, he goes. <laughs> really mean. 
Yeah, I don't know that one. Okay. My my issue is like I would I'd be fine with doing a commercial and certainly voiceovers for just about anybody. Um but I would never want to be in that flow chick's position. Uh because I, a recurring character on TV commercials I feel like is is a death sentence for your career. Because you get, so the, you get the notoriety though. that you'd get from like a sitcom or a movie or something. You get all that. Yeah, but her, you know? her, her, whole, her whole career with the stand-up is blossoming because of that commercial. There's people, people that want to see her do, do stand-up so they can put her name on the board or wherever they put it to advertise who's showing. And she draws a crowd to the club because everybody knows who Flo is. See what I mean? Right, but then it's so like... So she's, she's having a good time of her. doing this. But the people who would see... she I, I mean, I don't know what kind of comedy she does, but I, I, I'm guessing if it's like dirty comedy, then she's her days are numbered. Uh, and if it's mainstream <laughs> dirty, comedy, you know what I'm saying? Because an audience that that was that's a problem with I've heard from a number of times as comedians is they do something very mainstream for a while, and uh, Bob Saget, for instance, his comedy career kind of died out in the in the 80s and early 90s not, because not, of, he is not funny. <laughs> all right, well, my <laughs> point is that Full House, for instance, you know. Was a very family-oriented show, and so was the 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 clips show, the America's Funniest, whatever. Well, he he would go it would be Bob Saget live, and so families were like, "Oh, it's Bob Saget, a full house, and the funny video clips." And they'd go there, and Bob Saget was filthy, and they were like, "Oh, we can't see this." So he was just unbookable up until like yeah. mid to late. I'm gonna say like late '90s, like '99, 2000. He started getting booked again because it had been so long. That now it was like it became a uh, a spectacle to where it's like friends of mine at that time were like, "Have you ever seen Bob Saget stand up?" Like, no, and like, "Oh, I saw him a year ago. He was filthy." And it was like, "Really, Bob Saget?" Because we didn't know that he originally was a filthy comic and then picked for something family, and so it became like that was the whole appeal of him was like seeing he has disappeared family. off the planet. That guy hasn't. He? I mean, I don't oh, think no, he's he's everywhere now. Where is he? Where though? I've never seen. Him. He what does stand-up do? shows all over the country. He's always doing like he was on Entourage for a few episodes. He's done TV commercials. Uh, he's Entourage. He's, That's another one I don't watch anymore. He's, he's, I give him all a season. He's you know bit parts in movies, things like that. Always playing like you know. Is, do you uh, consider him a guy. talented guy yourself? Do you think of him as talented? Talented, yes. Really? Yeah, yeah. It's hard for me to dislike a famous comedian because I know what it takes without having done it, but I know you don't really get... You know what I mean? Like, a musician or an actor can, can go pretty far with no talent based on their looks, and, like, somebody can spiff this up or spiff that up and sure. fill it in. A comedian... I've can... heard Seinfeld talk about this subject we're talking about, that the stand-up is the... Hardest of all of them is what he says. Yeah, you don't have any. There's nothing. It's just you out there by yourself, you know, doing yeah. your stuff. And see, I mean, just just from the the fact that you're in audiences' faces, you know, I think that's why Eddie Murphy stopped doing stand up. I think he's done so many embarrassing things that he would not want to answer for it. And if he got up on stage today, he wouldn't get three minutes without people yelling stuff at him. Like, why did <laughs> you beat up that tranny? Why did you make you know? Yeah. The, the clumps part three, you know, they would scream at him. 
They'd be like yeah. asking him questions because you can. Like it, technically, people would get kicked out of the club, but enough people yell it, and you're not going to do any more shows because you're right there. It's just your voice and this audience, and the hope that they'll be quiet while you're talking. But you know, you're not going to have Brad Pitt standing in a in a smoky club doing stand up because everybody's like, "Oh my God, it's Brad Pitt! I have some questions for this guy." You know, he has to talk about that. It's it's that thing why I love Richard Pryor. Because Richard Pryor knew that, you know, he did the family films like Eddie Murphy. You know, he, he he did the dirty comedy again like Eddie Murphy, or rather Eddie Murphy like Richard Pryor. And you know, he went through drug scandals and and ex wives and and went to jail. You know, every number heart of attack thing, heart attack. And he'd get up there on stage and he would always play on that thing of like, I'm going to pretend I'm not going to talk about it. So he'd start in on something and people would just boo, and he'd be like, Oh, you want me to? Like one performance, he's like, oh, you guys want want me to talk about why I burned up. All right, well, look, before I go to bed, I like to have a glass of milk. And I use powdered milk. And uh, you'd be surprised <laughs> if you put that too close to a candle how combustible it is. And damn if I didn't burn up trying to have my evening milk, you know. And people are just booing at him, throwing stuff. Because you know, and he knew that they would. And then he's like, all right, here's the story. And then tell in excruciating detail. Uh, actors are are so shielded in these bubbles of like nobody wants to talk smack to them to their face. Nobody you know nobody kisses their butt on the TV shows and things like this. Where it's like they're so shielded. You put them on a stage and it's just them versus a hundred, two hundred, three thousand people. Oh, they're screwed. They wouldn't have a clue what to do. And even if you wrote their act for them and taught them how to say it, they still wouldn't be able to get the timing on everything right, get the energy going, and deal with hecklers, and be quick, and throw in extra jokes that punch up the thing. It's that kind of situation. I mean, you can see that in most award shows when actors have to go up and read the teleprompter, and it's got comedic timing and flow and things, and they have very little time to rehearse, you know. And uh, there's only one you ever see You ever see the Curb Your Enthusiasm thing when Larry David... Decides to do stand up again. Of course, yeah, we've talked about that a number of times. Yeah. Well, uh, the thing about it is, if you remember what happens, they they wanted him to put on this big show in this auditorium in Pasadena that seats like five thousand people. Right, right. And he backs out at the last minute, saying that his his stepfather is dying in Florida and he has to go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they were like, "That's a stepfather," you know. He's like, "Yeah, I know, but." You know, but my mom wants me down there. You know, yeah, mom yeah. is calling, so I have to go. And it's really good. And that's HBO, supposedly, that he's talking to. You know, he's it's putting that on for him. Yeah, but, yeah, uh, yeah. That's uh, that's pretty good. I, I, I can't think of. I'm watching this thing the other night it's called "The Pioneers of Television" on PBS, and I don't have any idea what they're going to show. Well, sure enough, it's about Johnny Carson. And here I am on the brink of about spending a little too much money on the entire DVD set of Johnny Carson shows forever. Yeah. Okay. So they got every – so here comes the pioneers of television, and you forget how popular Johnny Carson was. I mean, during my lifetime, back when we were raising Tommy and Sheila – I mean, every night you watch Johnny Carson during the week. I mean, 
it was like standard stuff. You just never missed watching Johnny Carson. And they're showing you all these people on there, Dean Martin and Frank Sinatra, and then they get into the comedians. Right. And I mean, it's like, you just can't believe it. it's the Hall of Fame, you know, coming out. Woody Allen, you know, one guy, what's the guy's name uh, uh, that recently died? The funny guy, uh, kind of like a comedian's comedian guy. Oh, there's a lot of those. George Carlin? The one that he recently died within the last two George years. George Carlin? George Carlin. Yeah. He came out there. He looked like he was 12 years old. I mean, he just looked like he was... He came out there and did the one where he's talking about the news, and he's the newsman and the weatherman and all that. Oh, right, right, yeah. They had George Goebel, man. And, and Bob Hope and Dean Martin were sitting on the sofa next to Carson, and George Goebel is doing his sack, and they are cracking up. They're, I mean, it's so funny to see other stars, you know, like Dean Martin and Bob Hope. Right, right. They're just losing it, listening to George Goebel. You know, it was funny. So anyway, I was thinking that uh, how things have changed, you know, and they, and they talk about that in the thing about all the all the networks that tried to compete with Johnny Carson, right, right? You know, by putting on their own version of Johnny Carson, and they would, you know, they would last like a year, and then they would go away, and a new one would come along, and they would, they, would, they just couldn't get, they couldn't unseat him, you know, he was just too strong. But yeah. he was quite an unusual man in real life. He was very shy and kind of gruff, you know. He didn't like to socialize and stuff. Mm. Well, that is the thing these days is that, that celebrity takes on so many so many levels that that there's no... I mean, I wouldn't say there's no, but, but superstars. I mean, that you could be a superstar in, in certain sections, and other people have no idea who you are. Justin Bieber comes to mind. I'm sure it's a name you've heard. Yeah. I personally, like, I, I've heard his name. I've seen photos of the guy. I've literally never heard a single one of his songs. I've but it's the same him, thing I, with the Kardashians. Exactly. Now, would somebody tell me what they do? I couldn't, Are they in the I movies even, or on TV show? Did they have a TV show or something? They were just rich girls, and one of them was in a was was uh, her sex tape. Like she had a sex tape with a famous rapper, and it came. You mean out. like? You mean like sex acts? Yeah, like well, it was like a private tape that her and this guy had made, and it came out, and then uh, so everybody's so like talking about Kim Kardashian. I think so. Best I can tell, that's where it all came from. Because I did some research trying to figure out who she was. Yeah, I was like, "What did she do?" And it's like, "Well, she was an heiress to this something or other, some huge fortune." Oh, and, I... and that's it. And then she had a sex tape, and it was like, "Who's this Kardashian?" Oh, she's got three sisters. I don't know who made that executive decision to like follow the family around. Like, I I don't know who was like, you know, I like how she is in bed. I just want to watch her shop twenty four seven, and watch her interact and yell at her sisters, and you know, like I don't know who came up with that. I had a whole bit on stage about that, like uh, about a week and a, well, a week ago, almost to the day. I did a little tiny gig out in Santa Monica, and uh, it went over pretty well. I just like ripped on him for about three minutes straight. But uh, yeah, that's the same kind of thing. They're effectively superstars. If she goes out in public, she's going to get mobbed by the you know paparazzi, right? You know. So that would put her. Why, in... is it, why is she important though? I mean, I don't understand that. I, that is so <laughs> far you. beyond my my uh, my group of people that I know. I mean, I just can't. 
my generation, I guess is what I should say. I mean, I, I just can't understand that. I, I don't know what what is that. I mean, why are there so many people interested in this woman? I don't know. It, it's so I, strange. Best I can tell, it's the same thing that people say about like a lot of reality shows: Jersey Shore, Real Housewives, all those. Everybody I ask, I'm like, why do you watch it? And they go, it's just so bad. And I go like, you realize it's that so like bad. I'm trying to make a living entertaining people who like me. And these people are multi, multi-millionaires, and everyone hates them. So apparently, <laughs> like, you know what I mean? It's like kind of, it used to be I should provide you with entertainment that you enjoy. But apparently if you provide people with stuff they just hate, you get you you, you make more money. So it, it's producing, it's... You'll see it like I, I'm going to sound like a crotchy old man too here, but it's producing this generation of younger people who are who aren't pursuing certain career paths or stuff, and they just think, well, if I'm just a drunk idiot all the time, maybe MTV will come along and stick a camera in my face, and I can be a millionaire. You know? Yeah. Like, well, that, there's, and that's, there's, there's no it's there's no embarrassment. You know what I mean? There's a not that we need to be Japanese shame based culture, but I mean. I kind of like shame, you know. I, I kind of like, you know, somebody realizes a faux pas. There's like no faux pas anymore. You try to explain somebody like, no, that's that's rude what you're doing. They're like, whatever. Like you were talking yeah. about the the girls who went into the uh, the quickie mark one time, and you were saying, and you said, do you girls have a job? And they were like, whatever, old man, and yelling yeah. at you. It's the same kind right. of thing. It's like there should be a level of embarrassment. If you're, you know, waltzing around in ripped sweatpants and a half a tank top on a Tuesday afternoon, you know. Yeah, but there isn't. But that's what I'm there saying. Is no, I think it's because of these kinds of things. It's like, you know, the more people hate you, the more money you make or something. It, it confuses the hell out of me. And uh, Well, they, they, you know. besides the article about the stand-up comedy and the same issue is an article about men under 35 most of them in their twenties that are like children. They, ju they, they, they're just still, they, they're, they're still adolescents. They don't really mature or anything. And, and of course women can't stand it. I mean, it's like the women are, have a hard time finding a man in that age group. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like mature enough to actually be serious and committed to doing something. You know, they, they it's all play and games and, a lot of it is gameplay and stuff that they do, you know. Right, right. Well, I, I, there was a – yeah, I read an article very similar to that years ago, and they even had a term for that kind of guy. And uh, they were saying that, like, there was a phenomena whereby – this is what, that cougar phenomena, whatever, but it was a phenomena whereby rich women were basically taking the role uh, that is commonly – rich men, you know, paying for a young girl to kind of, like – keep a part-time job or whatever she just dicks around and, and he gives her money so he can date her when it's convenient for him and she gets money and she doesn't have to work now that's yeah. happening in reverse where like older sugar successful daddy. women yeah older successful women sugar mamas as they call them older successful women are going after those guys that you're talking about the the you know 40 year old boys or 30 year old boys or whatever that are just you know that don't really have it together they're not doing anything they don't have any aspirations and they're just like Ugh. Like, women are like, well, that's perfect. He has no set schedule. I have a very strict schedule, so he can be on my call. I'll just pay this guy to, like, you know, be my little toy when I need him. And it's a very weird, you know, cultural I'm shift. Telling, 
There's nothing like life right now that I can remember in my lifetime. I mean, life right now from from politics to economics to sports to TV and movies to books. I mean, you look at the bestseller list and it's just total garbage. I mean, just garbage. And yeah. it's just kind of life has just become like this for some reason. I guess I'm going to blame it on the internet, okay? That's fine. That's I mean, I would I would go the same route. It's technology. It's it's letting common people it's removing that barrier to entry. I've mentioned this many times to friends of mine. Once you, if you remove that barrier to entry that you that you need for quality to make sure that there is quality in the you know what I mean? Sure, if, that's if a good you were way to publish put- a book 50 years ago. You had to really put your heart and soul write this thing, send it off to every publisher. And they they were a the respected publisher. They only you know, and they'd look over here. No, this isn't good enough. You need to make this editor. You know what? Too many edits. Screw it. Go to hell. And the guy would sit home and rewrite it and rewrite it. But now there's all these independent book publishers, or you can publish the book yourself and remove the gatekeeper altogether. And part of me goes, well, that's good. I like that a guy who might have a really good idea, but not the means necessarily to get to the point where he could you know, a director or something, you know, there's great independent films that are made for small amounts of money that are based on great ideas, but they couldn't sell it to a major studio for whatever reason. There's too much bureaucracy. So I like that, but somehow we need to figure out a balance between letting people with creative ideas, removing the barriers for people with creative ideas, but keeping the elitism and the barrier to entry on things so that it's difficult to just give anybody a platform that's you know some somehow there needs to be a a system in place in all situations where it's like only the best stuff gets through if you let everything through then now you're just dealing with crap and you kind of just put up with crap because well it's there and i think that's what's happening right now is people are just kind of dealing with it because they're like well it's not the worst crap but it's it's definitely crap but it's pretty good crap for being crap you know I'm wondering if you recall a few years ago Stephen King, the you know who Stephen King is. Of course. Uh, he decided to do an online book, and he would publish whatever, two chapters at a time or something, and you would pay 10 bucks to look at it or 50 cents or whatever it was. Mm-hmm. You could read it for a certain amount of time. It would be online for a certain amount of time. And then he would write another two chapters, and you could – pay another 99 cents and read that. And I was thinking to myself, now that's a pretty good idea right there. So what I'm asking you is, has anyone taken that bull by the horns and made and doing that on a regular basis? Or was writing a book that you pay to read online? Um, actually, Amazon just launched a service um, about two months ago for their Kindle um, platform whereby, uh, I think it's called Amazon Singles, don't quote me on that, but it's something like that, whereby you can write, you know, short stories, articles, uh, how-to, whatever you want, under, I think it's like under 200 pages, or it's a certain amount of words, whatever it might be, but let's just call it, you know, for sake of argument, 150, 200 pages, and you can sell it directly through Amazon to people with a Kindle, Um, 
and it would only be on Kindle platform. There would be no paperback. There's no physical bookstore. Okay, but I mean, they're selling the whole thing, right? The whole book or the whole instruction manual or whatever it is. Theoretically, so you, you could pay it in X, pieces. pay X number of dollars for the whole book. Oh, yeah, for the, for the single. But they don't yeah. get one the continuing story where you tune in every Tuesday and you get another chapter or something. You see no, what I mean? No, yeah, yeah, not yet. I, I mean, there there could be something that like that out I, there. That would make that to me. That would be a good idea. You know, to uh, have something like that where it's almost like a a blog type thing. Uh, you know, people that right. follow a certain blog. I know there's a lot of sports related blog guys that some people follow. You know, whatever they write. Right. Yeah. And. Uh, so it's kind of the same thing. That is, you know, it's just sort of a running serial kind of thing. Well, that is the issue that we're getting to right now also is that that it's people on the Internet have become so accustomed to everything being free that selling anything has become kind of a difficulty. But I think that to some degree, it's I'm starting to see a huge shift in that. I'm starting to see a lot more things that once were free becoming paid or, or what they call value-added. And that's the iPhone with the apps and all that's doing that, don't you think? Well, no, I mean... you I'm, pay for apps. Yeah, yeah, but I'm talking even beyond that. I'm talking um, like the Daily. It's a thing on the iPad. Um, it's a newspaper put that's up by the, Rupert Murdoch. Yeah, that's the Fox thing, yeah. Yeah, the application is free. What you pay for is a subscription so that you can download the new issue every day or I think I think it's every day. Um and you know there's there's podcasts yeah. I listen to where where people used to give away the podcast for free and then they went to a model where it was like, well, you know, we'll give away the first half of each episode for free, but you should probably subscribe for, you know, 2 bucks a month and you can download the full episode the whole time. Or uh, Adam Carolla just started doing uh, online video streams with his podcast. So you get the podcast for free the next day, but it's just audio. But you can watch the video in its entirety live or after the fact if you subscribe. So there's starting to be more of that. And it's starting to become, I think you're going to see a lot more of that. I think free is kind of on its way out. So it's, it's slowly being introduced or, or again, value added services. Like for instance, what Adam Carolla does where it's like, if all you want is to listen to a podcast, cool. But if you want all this extra stuff that makes it really cool, well, you got to pay for that. That would be a value added service. And, so. and, and you know, I think this is going to happen only because you got companies like Fox and, and Amazon, big companies that are figuring out ways to make money. Uh, None of those companies are in the free business, you know. I mean, yeah, 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 <laughs> they got, definitely. They got a, they got too many stockholders. They got to take care of. So you you know they're gonna they're gonna figure out a way to do that. Now, the only thing I've ever paid for online was back when I had a website that I was using for about two years, and I used to pay very little money, so much a month. I think it was they. Maybe it was a quarterly thing. I don't remember. It was a Yahoo thing, you know. Right, right. And they would take out, you know, three ninety nine or something, whatever it was. <clears throat> of course, I bought stuff. In fact, I just received. I went on eBay looking for a specific golf club. Uh-huh. This is it. Just arrived today. There you go. The Titleist 
what they call tour model from 1981. Wow. And uh, I saw it on eBay. Huh? Huh? Brings back memories, huh? Yeah, and it's a, it's, it's a playable club. I had it in my bag today, in fact. <clears throat> so, I mean, there's nothing wrong with it. It's not that it's it's not that it can't be used or anything. Right, right. There's something so, to be said uh, for older stuff. I would definitely. love to have the whole the whole set of irons that go with this, but uh, they don't have anything like that on eBay. But yeah. I've been on eBay, like, looking for, you know, golf-related stuff. I use Amazon sometime when I want a book that's no longer in print or it's not at some bookstore. Yeah. You know, you can get a used one for three ninety nine or something, you know. Yeah, yeah. I, I buy stuff from Amazon uh, all the time. I, I, I'm i sure my, my apartment managers are getting sick of me. It's practically every day I stop in there. I'm like, I, I should have a couple packages, you know. <laughs> for the last <laughs> few weeks I've had, you know, constant shipments i'm waiting on two more things right now you know it's and uh and i got i have an amazon prime account which is it's like a paid it's like 80 bucks a year but it's free two-day shipping on anything whoa now that's that would be a pretty good deal right there it's a a pretty sweet deal it pays for itself like the next day you know uh yeah that's it's it's anything that amazon itself sells if you buy there's a lot of third-party sellers on there yeah, I know. So you'll find something, and it's like it'll say if it says sold through Amazon, free two day shipping, or like three bucks for next day shipping. You know. Yeah. And they just turned it on like yesterday. They just made it so that their on demand video service is free for all Prime users. So that's an extra perk that I just got for free, basically, and it never existed before. But just but, uh, being the Prime user, huh? Mm-hmm. And you know, eighty bucks a year, and you know that's. They, I'm sure they make up for it with the two-day shipping stuff. So, are you buying sort of like technical apparatus and stuff like that on Amazon? Yeah, I did buy a lot of stuff for uh, doing the live show that I do here on Thursdays. But I bought a lot of books. Um, I buy DVDs. I buy uh, all manner of things. I, you know, they yeah, they have every, they just buy. about have everything on there, really. Yeah, they got groceries too. I haven't bought any. I wouldn't bother, but oh, I bought know. I bought some stationery. <laughs> See, one time, but I don't think it was Amazon. It was some some company, and they printed up a whole set of stationery with uh, letterheads, envelopes, business cards, and I mean, it was so cheap. I, I was thinking this is going to be some terrible looking stuff, but it was great. I mean, you know, it raised lettering and everything. I mean, it was. But you couldn't go like to Office Max it would be like twice the price. Yeah, well, that's the great thing. What they call the long tail on the internet is that, for instance, Amazon was the is the big the long tail example. And long tail works like if you have a general store, you only got so much square footage, so you have to only sell the highest selling items. You can't take a chance that much because now yeah. you've got extra shelf space taken up for something that sells once a year. But Amazon um, has a warehouse, several of them, and third party sellers. It doesn't cost them any more money to, say, sell a, a, a computer versus a pen. It costs them the same amount putting up a web page. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? I see what you're saying, yeah. Um, and what I think this is what's what's interesting is kind of actually bringing it back to the point that we were talking about briefly in the last episode was that uh, an article I had read recently was basically about how 
the future will be in selling BS in a sense, selling things that aren't actually worth anything and, and putting a false value on them. As a, for instance, Kindle eBooks, you know, downloading a book to your Kindle that costs Amazon. Um, we're talking one twentieth of a cent tops to send it over the air and get it on your Kindle. It's just a small, tiny little text file, and they have huge servers. They pay almost nothing for bandwidth. Uh, I know because we use their bandwidth for this podcast, and they don't charge me but, you know, 20 cents a month. And uh, <laughs> so uh, I know it's costing them fractions of a penny to send that over. But they ha- they charge 10 bucks for it. And it's like, well, it's not really, quote-unquote, worth that on account of you're not paying for the item itself, what you're... You're sort of taking the high road and going, well, the author's, I'm going to, the author's worth the 10 bucks it would cost for this. It's worth throwing 10 bucks at the author for this thing. But the thing you're getting has no relation to what you paid. And so it's, we're, we're in that middle of the paradigm shift where we're either going to go towards people are going to get used to paying for everything on the internet or, uh, or some model like that. Or, or a suggestion I, I once had is that you'd pay an entertainment bill every month. And and they would monitor your input on your computer, monitor all your downloads, and say, okay, well, this guy liked this artist this month and this, you know, book and whatever have you, and they would pay out accordingly percentages of your entertainment bill to those people. So, you know, that would be one way that I don't think anybody would ever do that because everybody whines about privacy concerns. But then the other way is to go really out there in a totally different direction is that thing I was talking about last time, that woofy thing. Where it's like, why I say where I say money doesn't matter. It's not like, you know, there's no money, so nothing has value. It's literally that instead of money, it's your contribution to society. And in essence, it's not that different theoretically from what we have now. Theoretically, somebody who works hard and brings a lot of value to the community or the world through products and services would be adequately um, compensated for that. Not. Obviously, there's a million examples where that doesn't really, that's not really the case, but that's ideally how it's supposed to work. Ideally, the richest people in the world are the ones that have provided most value to the world. Ideally. So, in a sense, Wuffy would just be, you know, it would be like that. There just wouldn't actually be money. It would just be, you know, um, your contribution. And, um, it wouldn't really change much, frankly, if you switched from money to woofy, where you'd pay somebody, you know, oh, I have a house that I built. Really? Well, I'll give you 10,000 woofy points for it, you know, and then your value as a person goes, and so now you have all these extra woofy points. You know, very similar to money, really. Um, but if you went that route, then we'd all be kind of evened out to where there wouldn't be like going to a, you know, a, it wouldn't be like robbery, per se. <laughs> you know what I mean? You couldn't do anything with without actually contributing something of value to the community. This would be an interesting way to go. Yeah. Now, I got this to ask you. I was at a thing here. It was kind of corralled into going to it. I wasn't sure what it was going to be. It, it had to do with technology of tomorrow and whatever it was. I think that's what it was called. And somebody, it was one of those things where after the presentation is two aisles separating the auditorium and there's a microphone at the end of the aisle and you can stand in line and ask your question, which I don't usually wait for that, but I was with someone else. So I'm watching. And this one young guy got up and he says, 
okay, 10 years from now, which company is going to be the chief high-tech company? Is it going to be Apple, Microsoft, Yahoo, or Google? Which of those, which of those will be the big gun? And the guy who is a venture capitalist that was answering the question, he said, you know what? In 10 years, it's probably a company that we've never heard of. <laughs> Stands to reason, yeah. <laughs> 10 years ago, you wouldn't have said any of those companies. Well, maybe Microsoft. You could have. You might have said Microsoft and Apple, maybe. But, mm. but I mean, Apple has gotten. Yeah, that's true. You know, 2001, Apple was on its way back up. 15 years ago, you would not have said Apple. You'd have been like, no, absolutely dead in a year. Not. But yeah, 10 years ago, they were on their way back up. So you, but I, I, you may have said I, that. Uh, I uh, can't believe how fast. I mean, ten years from now is a long time in technology. <laughs> yeah, it's a whole. I mean, that's like you can't even fathom what we're getting ready to have. You never know what it's going to be. You know, we may be talking to people from out of space or some such thing. I don't know. Well, See, I don't. Did, uh... I don't think. I don't think there's going to be like a coming of people from another planet. But I do think there's a possibility of communication some kind of way. Yeah. That's what I'm thinking is going to be the first thing that happens. It's going to be some sort of communication link where they're going to be able to find a way to go, you know, 500,000 miles out into space with some sort of communication thing. Right, right. Right now, they, you know, we can't do that with any human beings, but... All right, we're past yeah, the quarter yeah. two. All right, it's good so, topics there. I, I think yeah, we, that we was good. Enjoyed the... that one. It went by quickly. Yeah, a lot of entertainment so, topics. I didn't get to like any of the other stuff, so I'll save that. Are the Oscars before our next show? The Oscars are on the twenty seventh, which is next Sunday. Mm, yeah. Oh, so yeah, the this 27th. coming Sunday. Yeah, yeah. So this Sunday. So I guess we'll. Uh, quick, what's your Oscar pick for best picture? Well, I was going to say social network, but the King's speech is getting a lot of press. Mm. It's got to be one of those two. I'll flip a coin and say the King's speech. Okay. I'm going to, you know what? I, I didn't see either of those. In fact, I didn't see any of the uh, best picture. Oh, I did see Black Swan, but I didn't, I would not put that in the best picture. Um, I've heard a lot about the social network and the buzz was that it was going to get it. But the King's speech feels just based on what I've heard from people. It feels more Oscar-y. Because of its ways. Yeah. It's like historic. They like that kind of thing. I feel like they'd feel bad to say the social network. Like they would be like, somebody would be like, why did that movie win? Who knows? Um, so I'll, I'll, I'll just for kick's sake, I'll say social network. Uh, actor in a leading role, we've got uh, Javier Bardem, Jeff Bridges, Jesse Eisenberg, Colin Firth, and James Franco. I think Colin Firth will win easy. What was he in? King's Speech. Oh, okay. All right. I was going to say... Uh, it's possible. And I can tell you, Franco. best supporting actor is going to be Christian Bale. And if he doesn't win, I'm going to turn the TV off <laughs> forever. No, uh, I mean he was he was so good in that movie. He dominated that movie. So, director, would you would also give to the director of King's Speech, or do you think Fincher would take it? Uh, you know, the director's liable to be the guy from the that did the the uh, Inception and what was it called? Oh, Christopher Nolan? He's not even on there. He's not on there? Oh, Black good. Swan, The Fighter, King's Speech, Social Network, and True Grit are the director um, um, categories. Yeah. 
I, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't know. Give if King's, if King's speech gets it, you know, you probably get the direct. I don't know about direct. How about, I think what's the name should win the black swan for actress. Uh, Portman, Annette Bedding, uh, Nicole Kidman, Jennifer Lawrence, Natalie Portman, Natalie and Portman. Uh, Michelle Williams. So you, yeah. Natalie Portman. That sounds about right. I would probably guess on that. As far as actor, what actors? I heard Franco a lot this year, so I almost feel like he's up for it because I, I, it's like you couldn't get away from hearing about him, even though he didn't really, you know, I, I don't know. That 127 hours, it's also up for an Oscar, surprisingly. So I don't know. It does. Kind of all of these are dependent on that best picture, though. It seems to me, but I could be wrong. Well, well, what's the what is the supporting actress group? Uh, hold on, I was just uh, when I typed in the Oscars, that's what showed up in Google. I didn't even have to click through yet, so um, let me just check real quick by going to the actual site. Oh, Melissa Leo is in there for the uh, fighter. Um, ah. She does. Hold on, sorry, just started playing something. My actor, actor in a supporting role, yeah, Christian Bale, John Hawks, Jeremy. Christian Renner. Bale, Christian Bale win. I mean, there's just no way he he's not going to win. The only thing other than that, the only one other than that, is Jeffrey Rush for King's Speech, and I do love the hell out of Jeffrey Rush. I didn't yeah, see I didn't the fighter. Um, Jeffrey you Rush is either good. One of those. I mean, I'm telling you, if you watched Christian Bale in this movie, you, you you can't even you can't even. I mean, he doesn't even look like Christian Bale in the movie. Yeah, <laughs> he lost like forty pounds or something. Anyway, he, he was just extraordinary. I can tell you, animated feature film is going to be Toy Story 3. What is the matter? Supporting actress. Oh, supporting actress? Yes. Uh, Amy Adams, Helena Bonham Carter, probably going to get it. Melissa Leo, Haley Steinfeld, and Jackie Weaver. Uh, I'm thinking Helena Bonham Carter. Hey, the first couple. Amy Adams, Helena Bonham Carter. What's Amy Adams for? Um, The Fighter. Oh, she played the guy's wife, yeah. I heard she was really oh, good. Oh, Melissa Leo's Lob Lewin, then, in that case. Yeah. Melissa Leo, you know, is kind of like a favorite of, you know, she's one of those ugly women that's a very good actress. Mm. All right. But you're thinking Helen Bonham from the King's Speech. I mean, you know, she's just so yeah, good. King's it's hard Speech sweeping everything. Yeah, it's true. Uh, it could I be could that I, I heard a lot. I was probably thinking of Melissa Leo when I was saying Anna, Amy Adams. I heard there was a girl in the fighter that just like blew it away that everybody was talking about. So it was probably Melissa Leo if you made a deal about that. So probably that's probably right. Um, but I'm just, you know, again, if the best picture goes to King's speech, you know, uh, cinematography Eric, has got to go to Inception. It's Black Swan, Inception, uh, King's speech, so. social network, true grit. I, I have like to go. All right, all right, you go, you go. Now we're getting to all did the silly ones anyway. Down, did you write down our picks so we can see how we did? Well, we recorded them. Okay. <laughs> so we're good. All right. All right see dad. you later, Mitchell. I love you, and have a good, safe week. All right, I will certainly try. Love you too, Dad. Take care. Talk to you later. Bye-bye.